Well, on this second Sunday in the season of Easter, brothers and sisters in Christ and hearers of the word through the Holy Spirit, grace and peace be with you through God our Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Peter preached on that Pentecost day in Jerusalem, and we heard, we fast-forwarded a little bit and heard from the book of Acts, Peter's sermon on Pentecost, now I preach to you that this Christ, whom you crucified, killed outside of the law, this Christ has been raised up by God the Father and freed from death itself. And while this might at first, if you take these words seriously, it might first seem like a scary reality that the one you killed is not dead anymore, and you might wonder where there is grace and peace in that reality. Now I say to you that God has done a great reversal for your sake in Jesus. And think of all the things that you would like reversed in your life. Now God, by his great mercy, has given to you a new birth into a living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is to say that no matter how you feel coming to worship today, you may feel uh, quite great or you might feel quite not great. No matter how you feel, the promise of new life in Christ is yours on account of the forgiveness of your sins this day. And so you have grace and peace. Amen. Well, I know that it's been a whole week since we gathered together here in this place for Easter Sunday. A whole week has passed since we were gathered with great festivity to proclaim that the tomb was empty. And you can go out and just for, uh, well, one more Sunday, that's today, you can see the empty tomb. If you didn't get a chance to stick your head in the empty tomb last week, go do that this week. But we gathered a week ago to proclaim that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the Father and that the whole world was changed by this fact. But I want you to know that the disciples at this point did not see any optimism in all of this. They were not ringing the church bells at this point singing at the top of their lungs that Christ was risen. No, they were scared. And our gospel story picks up today, right where it left off last Easter Sunday. John starts, when it was evening on that day, on Sunday, the disciples were huddled up in a house and the doors were locked. Now, why do you lock a door? Of course, to keep out anything that's harmful and maybe to keep in the valuables, to form a barrier between you and the old world full of sin, death, and the devil. A door and a lock. These are tools of the law. And effective ones usually, we hope. For the disciples were scared. And when you're scared, your imagination can kind of make any sound seem like something you should worry about. Any little sound can conjure up big fear. I was uh, when I was learning how to fly, I had just graduated from high school and was uh, doing my long cross country uh, in a little Cessna 150 and uh, had to maneuver around a thunderstorm and was running low on fuel. That was just me. I hadn't gotten my license yet. And I'll tell you that as I saw the needle go down, every little sound that came from the engine, I thought, oh, is that it? Is that it? Is this the end? Any little sound became the worst sound. Uh, just this last week, I secured a short-term apartment, to, a place to live, uh, a month-to-month -month place 
to live until Aaron and the kids can join uh, me here in the next couple of months and we find a house. Well, like any new place to live, there are new sounds uh, and new people. And so I went to sleep that first night, and as the wind blew outside, I heard some unfamiliar sounds. (laughs) I wasn't sure what they were. I was pretty sure I didn't need to worry, but I still worried a little bit. And I'll tell you, I was glad for a door and a lock. But far more than me, the disciples were scared and alone. They weren't just in a new place. They were wondering if their time was up, for their teacher had been unjustly killed. And all of a sudden, as they're huddled in this room, all of a sudden, the resurrected Jesus shows up. For there is no door or lock that can keep him out. That's worth noting right off the bat. And right away, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then after showing them the scars on his hand and his side, he said to them again, peace be with you. Now, usually you repeat things that you want people really to get. I really want you to hear this, so I'm going to say it twice. And the disciples, well, they all had abandoned Jesus. They all had betrayed him. The last time they saw him, they betrayed him. In his greatest need, they left him. And now he shows up again I don't know what would be more scary in that moment, waiting for the Jewish authorities to knock on the door, or all of a sudden seeing Jesus, who had been dead. But Jesus' very short sermon is, peace be with you. That is to say, you are forgiven. I take your sin and your fear from you. And in its place, I leave with you peace. Now, that would be enough for this story. That is a nice ending to the story, but it is not the end. This peace, this forgiveness, this gospel were not just meant for the disciples in that room. They were meant to go out into the world. Jesus does something else remarkable here in this reading. He breathes on them, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And here the mission of the disciples and the whole church is given. We get the great commission in Matthew, but here in John, we get Jesus breathing on the disciples and giving them the keys to the kingdom. The the key is announcing Christ's forgiveness. With the power of the Holy Spirit, they are to go out and preach this good news, which is that Jesus Christ did die was buried, and was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. And the disciples did go out. We heard Peter preaching, and now we hear this preaching today. You have this world-changing authority now to forgive on account of Christ, and that is precisely why we are here, for this is the public sin forgiveness place in word And in sacrament, this is where we receive this forgiveness. And so in Christ's name, your sins are taken from you. You have called me as a pastor to announce this publicly and often, and it is my joy to do so. But of course, it's not just pastors who have been given this authority. You too can absolve those around you, especially in your family and amongst your friends. And at work, if you dare, sounds a little risky, I know. It did to the disciples as well. 
But we share now the keys of the kingdom. Christ has given them over, announcing God's forgiveness. And what a joy it is to be able to share this. And so when you share these words, well, I'll be curious to hear how it goes. You will come back and, uh, and let me know what happens next. But there is something quite nice about forgiveness. You may think some days, and I've heard this actually from people, well, why do we hear about forgiveness again and again? Isn't, isn't it enough? Aren't there other things to talk about? Well, Luther teaches in the small catechism, he says, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is also life and salvation. Just as Christ came to give new life and hope to the disciples, now he gives new life to you. Yet you need to hear the promise to receive it, which brings us to Thomas, the second part of this gospel story. Because Thomas, for a week, did not hear the promise. All he heard was from the disciples, well, we saw him. We saw him. But he did not hear the gospel. That was close, but not quite it. And so he lived for a week in doubt, in his sin. He was not there that Sunday night when Jesus appeared. And he said, I'll, unless I see the marks of the nails and the hole in Jesus' side, I will not believe. This was Thomas's sin, by the way. We all share in this sin as well. <clears throat> a sin against the first commandment, which is the most important commandment, by the way, that we are to fear, love, and trust God above all other things. But we are like Thomas in this regard, and we don't trust God above all other things. We fear, love, and trust all sorts of other things before God and his word. Like things of this world. Things like our own intellect or experience. We try to trust our own, our own sense of identity however we want to define who we are. We want to trust that above God and his word. But it is all our sin as it was Thomas's which is why we need to keep coming back to this place to hear God's word of forgiveness. Because Thomas is not left in this place of sin, and neither are you. A week later, Jesus shows up again, and what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Now, Thomas, see my hands? Put your finger and your hand in my side, and do not doubt but hear this word and believe. And you know what? He did. And he said, my Lord and my God, a whole different confession. And you know what else? It is the same Holy Spirit. Now here you are a week later after Easter. It is the same Spirit which through Christ gave Thomas faith. This same Spirit now comes to bring you faith as well. For we have it on Christ's authority that when his word goes out, it actually does something. It both convicts of sin, pointing sin out, making it large, even inviting you to put your finger in Christ, put your finger in the sin that Christ has taken, only to take this sin away from you. Now, First Lutheran has a wonderful piece of art. You've seen it before. I suspect you maybe saw it on your way in. It's an interpretation of Caravaggio's Incredulity of St. Thomas by Iab Mangia. It's hanging in our atrium, and it'll, it will be out there through the season of Easter. It provides a beautiful visual 
for our gospel text today. And when you see it, you see Thomas sticking his finger right in the side of Jesus. When you see this, know that like Thomas, Christ is drawing a confession out of you as well. That just as Thomas, putting his finger in the side of Jesus, confesses his unbelief, know that now Jesus takes your confession, your sin now, and he gives you his perfection. In this way, our own Dr. Steve Paulson would say we have a finger-stickable Jesus. You have a finger-stickable Jesus. You can put your finger in this one now, this one who comes with his body full of holes, full of our sin. Jesus can take this now, and he does. Know that your confession and your sin now is taken away, and in its place, Christ leaves his perfection, his peace. So no matter whether you are sitting in this peace already, and maybe you came to church in a great place, or whether you're huddled up and hiding from sin, from death, and from the devil, who, by the way, loves to give doubt, whether you're hiding from this this day, well, there is a word for you. Christ brings it, and now I deliver it. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven. Amen.